But we, in Christ, have come to know why we're here. Not because we came to it. Blessed are you, Peter, not that you figured this out, but that my Father revealed this to you. That's the place of blessing. And we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And a huge part of that blessing is what he's talking about here when he speaks of the mystery of his will. Now glance over at chapter 3. He said, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which, look at verse 5, in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Boy, when we hold the New Testament in our hands, we have a gold mine. Welcome to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians. Pastor Scott brings a message titled, The Mystery of His Will. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Ephesians 1, The Mystery of His Will. And uh, I want to give you a disclaimer right now when we speak about the mystery of His will. We're not talking about uh, His will for us, whether we should do this or that, whether I should take that job or this job, whether I, whom I should marry, uh, what job I should take. Don't misunderstand me. God is interested in all those details of our life. But Ephesians 1 goes much more fundamentally to the root issue of His will. Not only for all eternity and for all of history, but we're going to see how closely it is related to His will for you and me. Uh, but He's speaking in much deeper terms than just His will for next week kind of a thing. But His will for next week and next year and the rest of your life is dependent on the greater statement of His will that you've got here in Ephesians 1. And then let me also say that when we speak of a mystery... We're not talking about something mysterious or something that we can figure out by our own ingenuity. And so uh, keep that in mind as we look at this. Father, thank you for the opportunity right now to look into the mystery of your will. I just thank you for this amazing book and its statements that uh, we could never, never know apart from you making them that we can know what you're up to, that we can understand and have insight into life, not just for time, but for eternity. So I pray that right now you would be our teacher, and I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let me get right into it, starting at verse 8. God has lavished His grace on us, the riches of His grace, in the form of all wisdom and insight. He's made known to us the mystery of His will according to His kind intention which He purposed in Him. As I stated last time, God's grace toward us and the lavishing of His grace is not only in redemption, and all the aspects of our salvation that he purchased for us at Calvary, from his choice in eternity past to his glorifying us into eternity future. It's not only that, and how can I say that? You know, it's not only that. How could it be more 
Well, it's not just redemption, but it's the revelation of it. His grace has been lavished on you and me that we have wisdom and insight into what he's done. Into every aspect of this salvation, he has given us revelation. We can know, and in fact, we should know about God's will. In fact, it's one of Paul's prayers regularly that we would know these things. He wants us to know these things. Now look, just glance with me at verse 9. There are four terms in 9, 10, and 11. Uh, In Greek and in English, he gives four different terms uh, describing God's will. The first term he uses there. What he wants, his desire, his kind intent His kind intention, it's uh, his good thoughts on the matter. And they are good, not only on the whole matter, but toward us. His kind intention, which he purposed, it's to set it down beforehand and to plan and display it. It's the meaning of that word. He purposed in him. And then he gets down to the end of verse 11 and he says, he predestined all things according to his purpose, who works all things after the counsel of his will. And he uses a fourth term there as well as repeating some of them. I mean, you can't miss that he's saying God intends to do something in history. God has a purpose. God isn't watching it unfold like a victim like we might feel. And like many people think we are, just kind of victimized by the randomness of events, God has a purpose, an intent, a will. He has a counsel. And I think of it uh, the way God from the beginning speaks as the one and only, and yet he speaks in the plural. You know, let us make man in our image. And when I see this counsel of his will, I can't help but think about how the triune God is at one and has purposed to bless us and purposed to glorify his son. And in fact, if you were to sum it up, and we did, we didn't really. I just comment on it. Notice verse 10. With a view to an administration of the fullness of the times. God is going to bring about all the ages, all the times and seasons will culminate in the fullness of the times. When his son reigns here on earth for a thousand years, the Bible says, we speak of it as the millennial kingdom. And then he looks right on in and most of the Old Testament prophecies that speak of the kingdom blur the distinction really. Because there's that time of peace on earth and it will be a wondrous thousand years But God speaks beyond that on into eternity. And that's how the book of Revelation closes with the millennium. And then the final two chapters, looking at the new heavens and the new earth that God has planned uh, for his glory and for us. And notice that fullness of time, his purpose, his intent, his will, the counsel of his will is to, look at the middle of verse 10, sum up everything. In Christ. And I mentioned last time that it, that word has the idea of unity and headship. God is going to bring all things, all of history, under the headship of Jesus Christ. This one who is his beloved son, whom the world is spurning 
right now and blaspheming. And when he came, the world crucified. But God is going to see to it that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He's going to bring everything under the headship of Christ such that there will be a beautiful unity and his purposes will not be thwarted. Now notice, look back at verse 9 again. All this is described as the mystery, musterion, of his will. Now, as I said, the New Testament doesn't use this term in the, as we would in a modern way of mysterious, and maybe we can figure it out if we apply ourselves. And So people like to read mysteries, and you get a clue here and a clue there, and maybe you can put it all together if you're wise enough. The idea isn't, uh, in the New Testament, the emphasis isn't that, that it's hard to discover. In fact, the emphasis is that it's impossible to discover. You can't know where history is going on your own because the root of this word is hidden, sealed, secret. But the New Testament takes that term, and by the way, the pagan cults of the day, in Paul's day, they were mystery religions, and, and you know they still flourish around the world, and man has kind of built that way so that you know only the initiates can know what's really going on. You've got to be initiated in, then you hear the mysteries, and they're hidden and that sort of thing. God says, no, I'm making known the mystery of my will for all eternity. And so the great emphasis of the New Testament is that we can never come to it on our own, but God has made it known. It wasn't always known. You look back in the Old Testament, and we'll see that in a minute as we looked at the New Testament references to it. Uh, these things weren't known, but now God has made it known. And part of the way he's lavished his grace upon us in Christ, a significant part, is that he's made these things known to us. People don't know. Today, people are in the dark trying to figure out what life is all about. A young artist who has since come to Christ and uh, knows the joy of this was telling how he showed his portfolio before he before he knew the Lord, before he knew what the Lord's doing. And his professor said to him, what are you trying to say with this portfolio? And beyond being critiqued by his professor, he left, he said, and he went to a, a private place. And he said, I wept because I realized I didn't have anything to say. He listened to the music today. And, you know, some just kind of glibly say they're not saying anything. It's just stupid stuff. That's almost the message. There's a meaninglessness and a vanity and a futility because we can't come to an understanding on our own. Look at the art of our day and the odd, futile, vain perspective. But we, in Christ, have come to know why we're here. We've come to realize, not because we came to it, blessed are you, Peter, not that you figured this out, but that my Father revealed this to you. That's the place of blessing. And we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And a huge part of that blessing is what he's talking about here when he speaks of the mystery of his will. Now glance over at chapter 3, 
Because right here in Ephesians, you get a good, clear understanding of the way he uses the term. And then we're going to trace it through because it's so significant in the New Testament, particularly in Paul's writings. But verse 4 of chapter 3, he said, by referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. By reading Ephesians, we can understand Paul's insight into the mystery of Christ, which, look at verse 5, in other generations was not made known to the sons of men as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. Boy, when we hold the New Testament in our hands, we have a gold mine. The Old Testament saints didn't have this kind of insight. Oh, God gave them revelation, and we don't depreciate it at all. Every word of God is tested. But he said, this was not made known to the other generations, but now it's been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the Spirit. To be specific, verse 6, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And in one sense, the whole book of Ephesians is unfolding the mystery of his will, things we could not come to on our own. Now look over and, uh, and keep this in mind. These are things we as Christians, you may have been a Christian for quite a while. Maybe you've been a Christian a decade or maybe several decades. And maybe you've grown accustomed to realizing why we're here. And maybe you've even become a little bit just casual about it. Don't forget, people all around you are kind of just going around in the dark, not knowing these things. We Watch how the Bible does this. Turn to uh, Romans 16. Paul constantly used this term uh, to explain the gospel. At the end of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 19, by the way, and at the end of Ephesians, he says, pray that I'd have boldness to make known the mystery of the gospel. The gospel is something people won't just come to. We need to tell them. It's been revealed. Pray that I'd be bold to tell them. Well, when Paul gets to the end of Romans, notice what he says, verse 25. Now, to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations leading to obedience of faith to the only wise God through Jesus Christ. Be glory forever. Amen. When Paul thought about it, and as he closes off this great treatise of Romans, 16 chapters worth, he gives greetings, and then he says, Whoa. And he gives praise to God who's made known this mystery of the gospel to all the nations. God has proclaimed it to the world, and he's asked us to proclaim this message. Turn a page over to 1 Corinthians 2. You say, what is the mystery of the gospel? Well, in one sense, I could say what Paul said. And you remember, he kept it simple. He did not go off in every rabbit trail of philosophy. In fact, he said, you know, when I came to town, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that's why we should stay real close to the cross because God is summing up everything in His Son. And His Son came to earth to die and rise again. 
And so Paul said, I stay very close to that message, verse 2 of chapter 2. But, uh, and he says, you know, I wasn't there with a bunch of persuasive words and man's wisdom. I really determined to know nothing except the cross. But it's not that the Bible just says that repeatedly and redundantly in the sense of just simple language, just Christ and him crucified. No, the whole gospel is tied to the centrality of the cross. But notice verse 6, yet we do speak wisdom among those who are mature. And of course, you never exhaust the wisdom that's in the New Testament, nor in the gospel, as you grow in the Lord. So he says, we do speak wisdom, a wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away. It's not a wisdom that man can come to, or that man with his accumulated wisdom after one generation, you know, and philosophy classes, they love to show the how this guy built on that guy, and this century built on that century. And you find, no, they keep recycling the same old thoughts, really. And it's not getting any closer to the truth when man just tries on his own. It's not a wisdom of this age. But we speak, look at verse 7, God's wisdom in a mystery, something we could never know except God made it known. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this world has understood. If they understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The same is true today, not just the first century. If you understand it, you don't spend your time ridiculing this crucified Jew. You worship him. God in the flesh. Christ, Messiah, the anointed one. But the world doesn't understand this mystery, this wisdom. And so the world has its own wisdom, and he's already rebuked that in chapter 1 here. But this is all about what God has made known. In fact, look at verse 9 of this chapter. Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard. You can never come to with your five senses, your sight, your ears. Things which have not entered the heart of man. You can never come to with your intellect. All that God has prepared for those who love him. Wow, what a statement. What a great statement of what revelation is. By the way, a lot of times Christians quote this, verse 9, about heaven. You know, things we can't dream of are there. Well, that might be true enough, but he's not talking about heaven. He's talking about God's written revelation. And he goes on and describes how he wrote it down, combining words with thoughts, and gave us, and the highest thing I could say about it, perhaps, is the end of the chapter. Look at verse 16. We have the mind of Christ. We have that which was not made known, which man could never come to. We have been lavished with the mystery of the mind of God, the mystery of his will. What God has purposed, he's made it known to us. And of course, I don't think you can uh, do better than to just think on that and realize that he repeatedly calls the gospel that. The gospel is good news from God. It's not something man discovers. It's something that's revealed to man from God. And then many aspects of the gospel. And if you trace this thought through the New Testament, I want us to look over at Romans 11. Romans 11. Specific aspects of the gospel, and we don't have to be puzzled 
uh, about history. Now, I'm not saying we know every detail. And, you know, I'm excited, for instance, as we launch into the last book of the Bible, because just like the first book of the Bible tells us our origins, the last book of the Bible gives us human destiny, and it all makes so much sense, and it clarifies things for us. But that doesn't mean that we know every detail, uh, but we know what we need to know. And for instance, it ought not to blow us away uh, in the ultimate sense that Israel rejected their Messiah. Now, Israel constantly was rejecting God's purposes through the Old Testament. And when God's ultimate purpose came, they said away with him. But God has even told us about that. Verse 25, I don't want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery. In other words, again, this isn't hidden. He doesn't want us to not know about this. He says, I want you to be informed of this lest you be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Most of us, being Gentiles, uh, could really do well to listen to Romans 11 because Paul addresses Gentiles in Romans 11. He says, don't get wise in your own understanding. I don't want you to be unaware of what God has told us about this. There's a partial hardening of Israel, and it's a temporary hardening. Though Israel is one of the hardest places to witness today, in fact, it's illegal in many situations, and though the Jewish mind of unbelief is one of the hardest to reach, it seems, uh, it's a temporary hardness, and God hasn't finished with Israel, and the 11th of Romans emphasizes that. And he says, I want you to know these things, lest you become wise in your own estimation, lest you become kind of foolish, really. And sadly, many Christians, even whole segments of Christendom, have kind of ignored God's future purpose for Israel and have become wise in their own est estimation, just like he said. But he says, thus all Israel, verse 26, will... Be saved, just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. So Israel's rejection was part of something that we maybe wouldn't have been able to figure out on our own, but God has made this mystery known. But then let's get more specific to the gospel itself. Turn over to Colossians 1. Colossians 1. The mystery of the indwelling Christ you see, I, in one sense, we could say, well, Christ and him crucified. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And we could stop there and not understand that, yes, that's the gospel and, and that is beautiful truth, but the ramifications of that truth are spelled out for us. And so he makes known to us, for instance, uh, Colossians 1, let me pick it up at the end of verse 25, that he might fulfill the preaching of the Word of God. That is the mystery, which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. been listening to Abide in the Word with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, The Mystery of His Will, a message from our study of the book of Ephesians. 
If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to AbideInTheWord.us. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We have a new app available called the Abide app. It's available in both the Apple App Store and the Google Play Store. Along with the sermon library, you'll also find Scott's written publications, biblical seminars on a variety of subjects, daily devotional videos, this radio program, and the Abide Method, a monthly Bible reading and writing plan developed by Scott to give you the opportunity to read and write out Scripture. These resources all come free within the app, so if you're looking to deepen your relationship with Christ, please consider downloading the Abide app. Did you know Abide in the Word is available every day on Facebook? Well, right along with our daily podcast on iTunes and Google Play, our daily messages are posted to Facebook as well. You can find them at facebook.com slash abide in the word. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. So I would know in the Old Testament that God had purposes for the Gentiles, but I would never dream from the Old Testament revelation that he would speak of it as fellow heirs and fellow members, Jew and Gentile alike, making up one new man. The book of Ephesians unfolds it in chapter 2 and 3 for the doctrine of it, and then chapter 4 and 5 for the practical application of it. And wherever the gospel has gone, racial distinctions and ethnic backgrounds drop into the background because there is no Jew or Gentile in Christ. And the amazing revelation of the church as the body of Christ. So the mystery of his will is things we could never come to on our own, but they are beautiful truths. Join us again next time as we continue in our study of the book of Ephesians. Pastor Scott will bring part two of the message titled, The Mystery of His Will. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.